Cityscape is supported by the Museums of Lower Manhattan, located south of Houston Street. Good morning, and welcome to Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. On this week's show, to shop or not to shop, that is the question. The holiday season is now in full swing, and for many people, bargain hunting is a kind of religion. But at least one New York City group will be steering clear of the malls. The Reverend Billy and his Church of Stop Shopping is on a crusade against consumerism. If we work together, we can back away from the product. Back away! Back away! We'll hear from the Reverend Billy later this half hour. It's Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. No doubt Herald Square will be bustling with holiday shoppers this weekend. But New York City's department stores aren't the only places to find bargains. A new guide explores the city's quirky shopping districts. They're devoted to everything from undergarments to lighting. I spoke to Pamela Keach. She's the author of The Curious Shopper's Guide to New York City. Pamela, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. What's great about your book is that you include the history behind the specialty shopping districts in New York City, so you really get a great understanding of how these areas came to be. I was fascinated especially by the lighting district. Our question uh, was how did these stores cluster together in these locations in the city? And some of them were, it was impossible to find out why they, they landed there. And some of it, there were clues, little clues, like the lighting district being near the early theater district on Bowery. And so, therefore, the need for theatrical lighting long before there were lights in everybody's home. People didn't have lights yet, you know, but they needed to see at the theater. Now, in researching this book, did you walk in and out of all of these lighting shops? I did. I did. And when I was going in and out of the shops, whether they were lighting, diamonds, whatever, I was looking for places that had a very welcoming atmosphere and comfortable atmosphere. And there were some that did not. So I didn't put those in the book. Despite, though, the fact that you say these are places where you get good service, the people are friendly, you do write, though, that visiting these districts can be intimidating. Intimidating, for instance, in in the Diamond District, terribly intimidating because who knows? You're going to spend a lot of money on a diamond, many people for the only time in their life, men buying engagement rings, that sort of thing. There are over 2,600 diamond-related businesses just on the one block of 47th Street between 5th Avenue and 6th Avenue. And who would know? Who would know to be safe, what to do? And all of these people on the street saying, oh, you know, I'll sell you something under the counter. And it's a very exciting street once you feel like you have a hold on the street, a grasp of the street. But it's it's very intimidating just to walk on the street, walk down the street and see what's going on. You mentioned in the book that the closer a store is to Fifth Avenue, the more expensive it is. I wouldn't say that any of it is cheap. Some of it might be a little less expensive. But what you really want is you want quality merchandise. You want a good stone. And I do tell how to, uh, sort of an elementary guide on how to buy a diamond, what to look for, what the various criteria are, color, and what carrots are and all that sort of thing. I would imagine that's the bottom line with all of these specialty districts is the fact that you're getting quality goods. Right. You're getting things that haven't filtered down to, um, say, Walmart. (laughs) You can clearly go to Walmart or you can go to Williams-Sonoma if you're looking for something for your kitchen. 
but there's a great place to get kitchenware in New York, and you have that in the book. Right. The kitchenware district is just north on Bowery, just north of the lighting district. And there are many, many, many kitchen stores. And you can just go in and you can buy, especially, I think, good for um, starter apartments, uh, students, that sort of thing, where you can buy really very quality cookware at very, very reasonable prices. You can get a great skillet for $29. And if you go to Williams-Sonoma, you're going to be paying $69, $70 for the same skillet. I would also think that you're getting people who really know their stuff. Yeah, a lot of these businesses have been in the family, some for more than 100 years. There's an extraordinary store on West 38th Street um, called Hyman Handler, and they sell just ribbon, and it is the most beautiful ribbon you could possibly imagine. They did recently move, and I haven't been to their new store, but the old one, which was just a few doors down, they had been in for 80, 90 years, and the entire inside of the store was the drabest, dustiest, ugly thing you could imagine. There's a path worn on the, the linoleum floor, a path just worn right through the center to the counter, and the counter was actually has dips in it in the wood and worn away for, from so many people buying things in this store. But what this store did, what they did all these years, was ordered ribbon from France, handmade, uh, hand-loomed in France. And these ribbons came in, and in many cases, for some reason I never quite grasped, they never opened the boxes. And so there are these towers of boxes wrapped in brown paper containing just astonishing vintage French ribbon, silk ribbons, that they may never open the boxes, and they're just covered with dust. This is in the Millinery District? This is, this is in the Millinery District, right, right, on 38th Street between 5th Avenue and 6th Avenue. Once a place to go for hats. Once a place where the, yes, and there were, I think, well, I looked it up in the city directory historically. I think there were 500 or more hat-related businesses just on that block. If you're in the market for flowers, New York City does have a flower district. Yes, and the flower district has been around for quite a long time and is consistently in the news because it's consistently threatened. The flower district seems like it's always closing, but it never closes. And I went around and I asked the dealers that I was talking to about the closings, and they all said, oh, no, 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 I have a 10-year lease. I have an 8-year lease. I'm going to be here for a while. It's not going to happen. One store did move, a very nice dried flower store that had been there for quite a while, had to move to 29th Street. But the rest are still there. And that is, I, I call that a brigadoon because you, you in the morning, very early in the morning, this is when the cut flowers are sold. And if you arrive on that block, it, it's like walking down a path in, you know, in the Amazon jungles with with exotic trees on the street and flowers everywhere. And in spring, it's like, a, you know, it's a, just a garden to walk through with the beautiful, beautiful spring flowers. And it's all out on the sidewalk. And you get off the subway at the end of the block, and you're just in another world. What's the exact location? That is on 28th Street, West 28th Street, between 6th Avenue and 7th Avenue. 
You mentioned how difficult it can be for these folks to survive. Are you finding that throughout the city in specialty shopping districts that places are just trying to compete with the rising rents, trying to compete with, you know, big developers coming in? Absolutely. Absolutely. And there was one store, well, the two stores, one store, the the flower store that, that closed and moved while I was working on the book, and a second store that I loved and I had written a great piece about, and they actually closed completely, and we had to take them out of the book, a restaurant supply place that was wonderful because it had, um, you could buy all of the quintessential New York City paper coffee cups there by the case. It was a shame to see them go. You never know in business now how long it's going to be before the man who owns the building decides to sell it. There are some businesses that have been in business for a very long time in the undergarment district. The undergarment district is on the Lower East Side. It centers around Orchard Street and Grand Street below Delancey. Back about, we'll say, 40 or 50 years ago, when Orchard Street was still a very, very thriving street for wholesale and retail, and uh, from what I was told on a Sunday, it was very hard to even walk down there. There So many people would go to the Lower East Side to shop on Sundays. Not Saturdays, of course, because that's a religious holiday for many of the merchants there. Apparently, it was very interesting. Above Delancey Street was retail, and below Delancey Street was the wholesale district. So the people who were selling the socks on Orchard Street above Delancey would run out, and they would run down half a block across Delancey Street to the wholesaler and get more and take them back up. Now the underwear stores are not really so much above Delancey except for one notable exception. Most of them are between Delancey and Grand Street and along Grand Street. But there are a couple of really great ones. There's a place that sells the finest European lingerie and uh, uh, nightwear, sleepwear, silk pajamas for men at very discounted prices. And they're just just lovely people. And it's a third-generation store. Um, The granddaughter is now running the store, but her parents are still there, and they kind of help and give a lot of advice. But Miriam runs the store. New York City is, of course, home to a number of great musicians, and there are also a number of great places to buy instruments in the city. The musical instrument district has been in New York for a long time. It, it was has was and still is a destination for musicians from all over the world. And there's a guy there, and I think his store is called New York Woodwind and Brass, and his name is Rod Baltimore, and he is the guy who knows everything about the block. He's the folklorist of the block. And, you know, if, if anybody is interested in the music history of that area, you know, go talk to Rod, and he'll tell you everything you want to know. I'll tell you, I don't play the accordion, but you talk about an accordion shop in this area, and I want to visit that store. Yeah, and it's a, it's on the third floor, and it's an accordion and guitar repair place. But on the second floor, there's actually a museum of accordions, and that's something that anybody could visit and have a really good time. All you have to do is open the street door, and you can hear from below the the accordion music. What about the city's flea markets? You mentioned some flea markets in this book. Yeah, the the flea markets are one that really have fallen, you know, fallen into the problem of real estate development in the city. There was a legendary flea market on 6th Avenue at 26th Street for years and years and years and years, and known all over the world, just like the Paris flea markets in Porto Portese in Rome. And that market was closed because a building is being built, and it disbanded a little bit 
and it went to Hell's Kitchen, which I didn't uh, is not included in in my book because we're just doing uh, geographical districts, and it left the geographical district. But certainly, it's worth visiting. Uh, it's on Thirty Ninth Street, off Ninth Avenue. But uh, left behind is what I think is my favorite flea market in the city, which is the the Annex Garage. It is a parking garage that becomes a flea market on Saturdays and Sundays, and you can find great stuff there, and it isn't all that expensive. I mean, there are expensive things there, but generally I think the prices are quite reasonable. Sounds like you can make amazing finds in New York's specialty shopping districts. You could also get great bargains, but also what a great way to just experience old New York. The book is laid out in sort of little tours, you know, because you're going to a specific district. And and I I try to mention, you know, for instance, the Millinery District Synagogue, which is still holding services on on 6th Avenue. It's a little hole-in-the-wall place. You'd never notice it if you were just hurrying by. So it's a time to take an hour, two hours, three hours, take a walk, take a walk around the block. There are places to stop and eat. Many of them are emblematic of the neighborhoods on the Lower East Side, places like Russ and Daughters and Gus's Pickles, where you get the real taste of the Lower East Side, uh, to go along with the, you know, the fabulous new bra you're buying. Pamela Keach, the book is The Curious Shopper's Guide to New York City. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. If your shopping adventures take you to the more heavily traveled areas of Manhattan, you're likely to get caught in a logjam in front of an elaborately decorated department store window. Tis the season, right? Many store windows have been transformed into winter wonderlands as retailers work to put shoppers in the spending mood. Macy's Herald Square has turned its windows into an interactive multimedia spectacle. My name is Paul Olszewski, director of windows at Macy's Herald Square. I've always loved Christmas as a kid growing up, and when I think of what I'm going to do for Christmas windows, I just think what would make me really thrilled and amazed, and hopefully that translates to the windows and makes everyone else just get that magical feeling of Christmas. This year's theme is called the Trees of Wonder. We're basically celebrating the Christmas tree. There's a story of these two travelers who get an invitation to help Santa pack for his you know, midnight sleigh ride. And to get to him, they have to go through all these fantasy lands. And we've taken a Christmas tree and we've put it in six different fantasy lands, but we've also given you different points of view of the Christmas tree. For instance, in our first window, which is the Tree of Peace, you are underneath a giant Christmas tree. And that Christmas tree actually extends, as all our, these windows do this year, to the outside of the store. In another window, you are inside the trunk of a Christmas tree. In another window, you are above a Christmas tree. You have a bird's eye view of a spinning Christmas tree that's out of control. And then you go deep into the ocean to an underwater Christmas festival where the Christmas tree is a carousel, and then to a forest of Christmas trees with a giant dragon, and then finally you get to meet Santa Claus in his treehouse, which is in a Christmas tree. This display is interactive. You can actually hit the window and make things happen. Yeah, two things that we did new this year is bringing the window outside of, you know, on the other side of the glass so it's over your head, so it really brings you into the window. And we've also made every window interactive, so you can actually touch the glass and activate sound, light, and animation in the window. So the viewer is really part of the window. One example of the interactivity, and probably one of the most popular interactivity points of these windows, is um, our first one of the Tree of Peace. There's a lion who's sitting with a lamb representing peace. 
but he's just moving his head, breathing, looking at all the viewers. You go up and touch the glass, and all of a sudden he just lets up this big roar. It's pretty amazing. He twists his head, opens his mouth. It's really fun. I can hear it in my office every time somebody presses that button. There's a lot of pressure to see, you know, what's he going to do next? Is he a one-hit wonder? I can't tell you how many times I heard that. <laughs> but, so there is obviously competition. Do you feel that pressure that you have to be better than Sax? You have to be better than Lord and Taylor? There's a competition between the other stores, but it's, it's really a friendly competition because everybody has their own certain style. I mean, Sax has their style. Bergdorf's definitely. Linda Fargo has her style. And Macy's has our own, and ours is really fun. While others could be sexy and others could be sophisticated and some could be whimsical. So while there is a competition, we all keep true to our own identity. The pressure comes from the pressure I put on myself because it's so important to me that the viewers of the windows are having a good time and feel Christmas when they look at it. I've already started working on next year's Christmas windows, if you want the truth about it. It's, it's a year-long process for me. Any hints into what you might be working on for next year? Um, I don't have any hints for what I'm working on next year. It's going to be a very tight-lipped secret right up until the unveiling. Paul Olszewski is director of Windows at Macy's Herald Square. You're tuned to Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. For some people, holiday shopping brings excitement and joy, but for others, it brings mounting bills. Tamara Drought is the author of Strapped, Why America's 20 and 30-somethings Can't Get Ahead. Tamara, thanks for joining us. Good to be with you. How much pressure do you think the holiday season puts on not just young people, but also low- and middle-income families in America? Well, I think it puts on a lot of pressure. One, um, uh, particularly uh, for households that have children. You know, this is a time when they're hearing... Uh, all the things that their kids want, uh, most of them are probably way out of their price range. And so there's a lot of pressures, you know, to give their kids a good holiday. Um, and then the competing pressure of, you know, not wanting to sink the household into further debt. So, you know, I think it's a tough time for uh, low- and middle-income households to try and navigate that tension between, you know, wanting to give their kids a good Christmas but not wanting to, uh, you know, put the household further in debt. Why do you think it is, Tamara, that people knowingly spend money on things they know they can't afford? I mean, who really needs a flat-screen TV? I mean, these are not necessities. Well, you know, some people, I get, um, particularly when it comes to young people, uh, the, the flat-screen TV uh, question a lot. And the reality is, I think, is that most people who are buying flat-screen TVs actually can afford them. Um, that being said, you know, I do think this is a time when families are more tempted. Uh, you know, they, they get caught up in holiday fever, and uh, it becomes a little easier to uh, go above and beyond what they might normally spend. It's not hard to get your hands on a credit card. Do you think that more needs to be done to make it harder for young people to open an account? Well, you know, I think that we need responsibility um, both on the part of the borrowers but on the lenders. And the lenders have really been uh, getting a free ride when it comes to responsibility. Yes, we need better uh, underwriting standards so that people who have access to credit, there's some uh, acknowledgement of uh, their ability to repay that debt. 
Um, and then there's just a whole host of practices that the, the lending industry engages in when, where they're really purposefully trying to mire people in debt uh, in high interest rates um, so that they can make more money and so that household uh, is on the string for that debt for, for years. Do you recommend that people take their credit card company to task during the holiday season, threaten not to use their credit card unless they cut you a deal on interest rates? Well, you know, one thing I always advise people to do is call up your creditor. That's the best thing you can do. Ask for a lower interest rate. If, you've, if you were late on a payment and you got socked with a penalty fee and they jacked your interest rate up, you know, uh, to 31%, which is very common, um, pick up the phone. Uh, if it's your first time, most, most of them uh, will, will try and uh, work out something with you. How serious do you think holiday debt can be for a young person or a family that's struggling to survive? I mean, can this really set them back for a long time? Well, you know, I think that, that in, in some ways the, the holiday debt um, going overboard is, is probably not as uh, prevalent among lower-income and young households. Um, one, they don't have the capacity to go that overboard. Um, their credit lines are not going to be large enough to get into that, that big of trouble. Um, that being said, you know, there's a lot of other expenses that go with the holidays besides gift-giving, um, you know, travel. Um, so it's, it's a time that if you're already sort of living paycheck to paycheck, um, you know, you sort of dread those holidays because you know that you're going to have to come up with some extra money um, for just even the basics um, to, for the holiday. Tamar Drought, your book is Strapped, Why America's 20 and 30-somethings Can't Get Ahead. Thanks so much. Thank you. On a recent Sunday night at a coffee shop on Staten Island, local activist Bill Talon took the stage wearing an all-white polyester suit and pompadour hair. He was backed by a five-piece band and a ten-member choir, all wearing long red robes. The performance was the latest stop on Reverend Billy and the Church of Stop Shopping's five-borough Chapocalypse tour. He was too exhausted to talk to us after his performance, but we caught up with him by phone the next day. Hallelujah. This is Reverend Billy from the Church of Stop Shopping. I know that we're going to do our very best today. Consumption is killing us. We're going to work together. Organizing society by product life with the big retailers being the most powerful people in our society is a mistake. It's not working. It turns us into consumers instead of citizens. I know that as Americans, we've got our hand on the product. <laughs> Buying less is the smart choice. If we don't slow down our consumption, we'll, we'll be consumed. We're consuming ourselves. So do we all work together now? Where'd you get that sweatshirt? You don't mind if I look at your tag here. If we work together, we can back away from the product. Back away! It's a little bit scary. Pulling out of chain stores and the big boxes can be scary for people. You sort of have to own your own economic activity, but uh, we've got to do it. I mean, the time is running out. It's what we call the Shapocalypse. The apocalypse is happening right now. The apocalypse is happening right now. 
problem is not that we're depressed about it. That's not the issue. It's not that we got the blues. That ain't it. What is it? It's not that I got the blues about it. It's just that it's Coalition 
of neighborhood activists and and people who love their independent shops and I'm so proud to be a part of it. And people call us in and we'll go to that bulldozer, we'll go to that hearing, we'll go to there and sing and preach, get people to laugh a little bit, give them some energy. It's amazing that all the way to this moment, to this Christmas time 2006, that we have been able to keep Walmart out of all five boroughs. It's really something to celebrate. Talon is Reverend Billy. You can find out more about the Church of Stop Shopping at RevBilly.com. That's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. Thanks to producer Jody Abergan. As always, you can download a podcast or listen to archives of past shows at WFUV.org. Have a great weekend. Cityscape is supported by the Museums of Lower Manhattan, located south of Houston Street. The Museum of American Financial History is in the old Standard Oil Building, where John D. Rockefeller forged his reputation as a captain of industry. And it's one of the 15 unique museums of Lower Manhattan. Info at museumsoflowermanhattan.org.